How are you all doing today? Good. You know, I, um, I, I never cease to be amazed at how the Lord orchestrates our services. And I just want to say again how thankful I am for the presence of the Lord in this room today and in this place. And what a privilege and honor that we should never take for granted. That it, what a privilege it is to be able to come together and to worship as believers together and to exalt the Lord, to sense His presence, to sing unto Him and to declare His greatness. Can you agree with me on that statement this morning? I, uh, <laughs> I didn't even tell Pastor Brent this, but I, um, I, had a, I don't dream often, and when I do, it's just weird, uh, typically. Uh, whatever it is, and it makes no sense, but I, I had a dream uh, this week, usually I don't even remember them, but I, I woke up and I remembered, um, it was just this flashing thought that Pastor Brent asked me, what should the choir sing on Sunday? And I said, you know, the choir should sing Thou, O Lord. I didn't even tell you that, did I? And so, um, and then the other things that have been sung this morning, you know, I, I walk in here with my heart full of the message that God has given me, and then it's, it's through that filter that I then observe and participate in the worship service here and what the Lord is saying through the, the worship song, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me how the Lord puts all that together. So all that to say, I'm glad for Jesus. How about you? I have received uh, preliminary, report, preliminary reports on the success of the lowly crusade in Honduras this week. I did find out that the Lord opened the door for Stephen to walk into an international summit and pray for the peace and prosperity of Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador with the room being full of colonels and chiefs and dignitaries. What an incredible opportunity. Again, only the Lord could have orchestrated could have orchestrated that. I'm sure we'll be hearing more as the team gets back in town. And then I, I got another text later that saying that the in the Crusades, the Lord demonstrated His power in signs and wonders and miracles. And so can you join me and let's just thank the Lord for what He's already done, even though we have only a partial report. Well, what a week we've had. We have elected a new president, and some of you are thrilled. Some of you are terrified. Some of you are thrilled and terrified. And my only comment is to say that I have lived through enough presidential elections to learn this, that if the candidate of your choice did not get elected, the outcome is usually not as bad as you thought it might be. If the candidate of your choice did get elected, that the outcome is usually not as good as you hoped it would be. So cheer up, because God is still on the throne. The government shall rest upon His shoulders, and He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Thinking back over um, my childhood a little bit this week, I have very pleasant memories of spending every summer about two to three weeks with my grandparents my paternal uh, grandparents who lived in Independence, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. In fact, all of my family, both sides, my mother and my father's side, they all hail from the Kansas City area. I had a doting grandmother who was an incredible southern cook, hallelujah. I gained weight every summer that I was there. 
And my grandfather was a, 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 the more quiet one. He was a hardworking man. He worked for the railroad, worked for GMNO or Gulf Mobile in Ohio Railroad for all of his life. So my parents would uh, take me to my grandparents every summer. I'm sure my folks needed a break from me, which was part of it. I didn't figure that out till later why they were doing that. <clears throat> but I had a great time, you know, sleep as late as you want, eat what you want, when you want. Life was good, you know, it was really great. I had learned how to play the Missouri Waltz uh, on the piano as a young child, and that was the official state song of Missouri. Uh, still is, as far as I know. I couldn't remember it today, uh, but, but uh, I learned it then. And my grandmother happened to have connections to people who worked at the Harry S. Truman Library there in Independence. And my grandmother, being the little, she was no bigger than a minute, but she was a real powerhouse, and she was very confident and determined, and she was sure that the former president needed to hear her grandson play the Missouri Waltz. So one day, we made our way to the library, and I had the privilege of playing for um, President Truman. So that was one of my memories of what happened in the summer, and I was kind of going down memory lane, and, and something else that comes to my mind the other fun memories I have, and I bet you share this as well, was something that we would do in the evenings after supper. We would go outside about dusk, and I had this glass jar. You know where I'm going. And I had a lid, and I took the ice pick, and I poked holes in the lid. How many already know what I'm going to say? Okay. And in that jar, I, we would catch lightning bugs and, and as we ran through the yard. But the first time I did it, I was quite young, and I, I wasn't so sure that catching a bug with my bare hand was a great idea. And I'll never forget my grandfather catching them in his hand and convincing me that it was going to be okay, at least to be okay for me, maybe not so much for the bug, but okay for me. But it was that moment with my grandfather involved that gave me that incredible experience where doubt turned into delight. It was always the moment for me, particularly that first time, of what I'm going to call today doubt dissipation. Dissipation means something just evaporates, vanishes, goes away. Something happened in me when with my trusted grandfather, who, who I knew loved me, and he wouldn't do anything to harm me, if, or if he had, my grandmother would have killed him, but... Uh, and I came to that moment of realizing this is a good thing, and it's not going to hurt me. And my doubts dissipated. But just before doubt turned into delight, there was that horrific moment where I had all the natural thoughts of, is he, is he lying to me about this? Is this going to hurt? What if he's just teasing me? And, 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 and is this really going to work for me? And, and if you're like me in your Christian journey, you have often found yourself somewhere between doubt and delight, somewhere between there. I mean, you may have come into the sanctuary today full of your doubts, even about this service, and wondering why are these people have their hands lifted, and why are they shouting, and is, is this right, or is it just weird, or, or, or is, what's going on here today? So what exactly happens in that crossover point from doubt to delight? And let me say this. We all live with doubts every day, if we're honest. And it doesn't even seem to matter 
how many times the Lord has turned your doubt into delight or how many victories uh, you've experienced or even how many miracles God may have done for you or for your family. Because the issue for you and me is this. Today, we face a new trial. Today, we stand before a new mountain. And it's far more intimidating, far more daunting, and far more threatening than that which we've faced before. At least it feels like it today. Even though God's done all these wonderful things for us in the past. But here's this new challenge Here's this new situation. Maybe now it's not, is the lightning bug going to hurt me when I catch it? Maybe now it's, it's standing on the edge of the diving board, the, the low diving board in the swimming pool, and your daddy out waiting in the deep, and is he really going to catch me if I jump? And you stood there for the longest time. That's the new doubt. Is it going to be okay? So the new problem, and then of course we can take that and transfer that to all of the experiences that happen in the journey of life as we get older and as we mature, and each new trial, each new test, each new situation brings with it a fair measure of doubt, and we all face it. And whether or not you've even made your doubts known to anyone, maybe not even your spouse, or, or whether you simply hold them in the quiet of your own heart. I am willing to stand before you and freely admit to you that which I have publicly admitted before. And that's this. I may have conquered many doubts all through my Christian walk. I may have gotten past the lightning bug moment. But because of my new circumstances or my bigger trials or my grown-up challenges, my grown-up battles, the new challenges to my faith, every time I am forced to once again determine if I'm going to trust God. And I wish I could tell you that I'm past the point of it even being a question. But every time I'm forced, am I going to trust, am I going to believe that He can turn my doubt into Delight, and if today can be the day of doubt dissipation for me, I found in the reality of my own experience that I have to do it regularly, I have to do it deliberately, I have to do it intentionally, I have to return to the place of trust in God because it does not come naturally, I think, for any of us. We have to choose to come to the place of trust, which is why I, along with many of you, I anchor to the Scripture in Proverbs 3, 5, which says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what? Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct my paths. I know that's a favorite verse for you. Some of us, possibly today, and this just struck me before I walk in this, walked in this morning, some of us need to look at the second line of that verse and honestly admit, you know what, Lord? I have been guilty of leaning on my own understanding. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. You don't have to confess it to me. But I've had to say, Lord, I need you to forgive me for leaning on my own understanding. It's a natural propensity. It's a natural proclivity, if you will, in a human to say, but my experience has taught me this. My journey has shown me this rather than, and I lean on that rather than leaning and trusting in the Lord. 
But the reality of His Word is still true. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Well, there's a place in Scripture where we find the disciples of Jesus having their lightning bug moment, we'll call it that. I'm going to read it to you from John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. If you have your Bibles or, your, or wherever you have your Bible on your phone or whatever, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, starting with verse 18. Let me just give you a bit of the setup for it. Jesus had just cleared the temple by driving out the money changers and those who had turned it into a, a marketplace. And observing him do this, uh, when he drove out the money changers, his disciples remembered an Old Testament prophecy from the Psalms which said this. It comes from Psalm 69. Passion for God's house will consume me. So when they saw him having the reaction he did to the money changers and the fact that many had, had made it a marketplace and his reaction, which you've read, I'm sure, many times in Scripture, they saw that happening. That's when they remembered, oh, I remember the prophecy where it says, passion for God's house will consume me. And this is somewhat of an aside this morning. But church, let us never lose passion for the house of God. Jesus didn't. And neither should we. And I want to say carefully, I'm so thankful for those who are watching us online. We get reports from literally many far corners of, of the world. But find a local fellowship and get into the house of God with other believers, if you at all possibly can do that. Scripture tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Do you think that's a suggestion? No. There's something beneficial, something significant happens when we do what we have done this morning. Gather together as God's people collectively worshiping Him. Jesus had a passion for God's house. It consumed Him, and we should have the same. Even though our culture and our generation has become quite relaxed about it. But that is not the way we've been designed to function as New Testament believers. I knew I'd get a rousing amen to that. <laughs> Moving on, John chapter 2. Jewish leaders said, <clears throat> they, Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? In response to Jesus doing what he had done. If God gave you authority to do, to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, I'm going to take just a slight sidebar here, if you'll hold with me just a second, I think this will be a help to you. If you're ever talking to someone who does not believe in the, in the Trinity or in the triune God, and those folks are, 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 are around, in other words, they don't believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are some people who say, oh, you believe in three gods? No, He's one God. Three in one, we, and we understand that. Our, our first go-to, our default scripture that most of us go to the most often is where Jesus is being baptized by his cousin John, and the, the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven, is, the heavenly Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and so you have the picture of all three right there. And that is certainly a strong statement for the Trinity, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you another one that maybe you don't see quite so often, that we find it in this passage this morning. If that person you are speaking with doesn't believe in the triune God, simply ask them this, who raised Jesus from the dead? And their answer might be, well, Jehovah did, or, or God did, and that's true. 1 Corinthians 6.14 makes that clear. 
But Romans 8.11 also tells us that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. But then if you look at the passage we've just read from John chapter 2 this morning, it says that Jesus raised himself up. And so who raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says that God the Father did. The Bible says that the Spirit did. And the Bible says that Jesus did. So right there, you have the Trinity all working together at that point in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's no extra charge for that this morning. Just something you ought to have in your arsenal somewhere. Verse 20 of chapter 2 of John. What they exclaimed? Destroy this temple in three days is what he just said. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And in verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered... He had said this about destroying the temple. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So look at it again. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and then they believed him. They didn't believe any of it until he rose from the dead. They didn't understand any of it until he rose from the dead. Did you know, Bethesda, that you can hear something? but it not come alive in you until something happens. Hello? You can hear something, but then it will not come alive in you until something happens. So, so often for us, a moment has to happen in our lives that causes truth to come alive in us. If you were around here in the pastorate of, of Pastor Des, <clears throat> many of you were, most of you were. You remember, probably like me, you had this picture of him saying something or delivering something and then sort of waiting for a second and then he would do this. Who remembers that? What that meant was that just went smooth over your head. He didn't say the smooth part, but that just went right over your head. And here was what happened. It was something, and I'm sure I, I understand it. Something that was alive in him, a truth that was alive in him. He so wanting to communicate to us, and we heard it, but we probably had a response that looked something like some of you looked this morning, like. <laughs> you hear it, maybe you comprehend it on its surface level. But it's not yet alive in you. Because so often, something has to happen. A moment in life, it takes a life experience to fully grasp the reality of truth. If you wanted to in your mind right now, you could probably look back over your life and go, you know what? That scripture, certain scripture, really came alive in me when... Fill in the blank. I really understood that more when this happened or when that happened. And who knows how long that can take. For the disciples, it took three years for those, for, for those words of Jesus that we've read this morning to come alive in them. It took three years, a resurrection, and some of their most difficult times for them to have their lightning bug moment. A three-year journey 
before they really got it. And the dissipation of their doubt was on resurrection morning when one of them, I'm, this is my imagination a bit here, probably on resurrection morning was sitting there and suddenly it went through their mind and the light bulb went off and I bet they blurted out, hey, that's what he was talking about when he said he would rebuild this temple in three days. Now I get it. Hey, brothers, don't you see? Don't you get it? And then something clicks, something triggers, and inside they go, that's real. That's truth. What I want us to see this morning, church, is that in between the moment when you hear truth and the moment when the truth becomes alive in you, there may be a journey. But I also want you to be encouraged because the exciting part of that for us this morning is this. Every one of us here, male or female, every one of us here this morning is pregnant with truth. What? No, yeah. We don't see it. We, we don't necessarily, we can't even yet touch it. There may be indicators that it's there. But if you've been walking with Jesus at all, and you've been diligent to read His Word and fill your heart and mind with the truth of His Word, then you know what? You ought to rejoice in the fact that you have all kinds of seeds of truth within you that are ready to sprout with life. That's why you and I both ought to be encouraged this morning to get your head out of the doldrums. Why so downcast, O my soul, for the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. That's why you ought to anticipate tomorrow morning, listen to me, with joy for the truth that is yet to come alive in you, which will draw you closer and closer to Jesus, allowing you to be even more greatly hidden with Christ in God. You can clap now for that if you want to. The truth of the Word of God. Can we agree on this this morning? The Word of God is life. It's not just something that you read. It is life. It doesn't have life. It is life. And if you have absorbed any small morsel of it, then within you is the promise of the reality of truth coming alive in you. So between your point of doubt to your point of belief is a journey. And you are on it today in some aspect of your life. And you may have been on that journey for quite a while now. But I just want you to know that today could be the day of doubt dissipation for you. All doubt has to have a day of dissipation. It's just waiting on you. And today could be the day that some truth about the Word of God will become so settled in your heart and that will take an act of faith on your part. If I mention the name David Wilkerson, so many of you will know him. Some of you won't have a clue who he is. There are so many colorful stories from his life. Some of you were closer to his spiritual journey than others, those of you who knew of him and his ministry since he uh, lived in this state for a period of time, and many of you had associations. 
For those of you who don't know that name at all, David Wilkerson was the originator of Teen Challenge. We have a Teen Challenge ministry today because of him. And obviously, it's an incredible work that's still going on. Well, this story is in one of his books. I, I, I don't remember which one. I should have looked that up. But it's, it's a story of one of their church members when they were in New York. Someone broke into the two-story home of one of their senior church members. And some perpetrator broke into this two-story brownstone, which was owned by an elderly widow who was living by herself. The perpetrator broke the window of the front door, reached in, unlocked the door, and helped himself in. And while she's being aware that all this is going on, obviously she began to have the thoughts that any of us would have. What's going to happen to me? Is there going to be bodily harm? Is he, is he going to steal something? Is he going to shoot me? What's, what's going to happen? And so what this godly woman did is she positioned herself at the top of the stairs and came to that moment where she had to decide if she really believed in the protection of God or not. If any doubt, did she have any doubt that she might have God's power to protect her? If there was any doubt, this was the time for that doubt to dissipate. Did she really believe that God would cover her and protect her with his angels? Did she really believe that God would be to her a husband when she didn't even actually have a husband? She was a widow. So she stood at the top of the stairs, lifted her voice, and started shouting down at the man who was entering her home. Acts 2.38. That's what she shouted. Just a verse. Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. And all of a sudden the man got so scared that he got down on his knees and then he laid prostrate on the floor with his hands and his legs spread out while she called the police. The man waited there until the police came and arrested him and, and they hauled him off. For what it's worth, Acts 2.38 says, Repent, and uh, every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it's just a verse that came to her mind in that moment when she said, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38. So after, as the police were hauling the man off, they just, you know, they were mystified. This was not the way this sort of thing normally happens. They don't normally walk in and find a man spread out on the floor, surrendered to a 70-something-year-old woman. So the police asked the man, she's 70-something years old. What, what are you doing? You could have robbed her. And the man said back to those cops, says, yeah, you try robbing somebody who has an axe and 238s. So can we just thank God that he is our protection in whatever way he chooses? Our help comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. God has the ability, church, to take words on a page and breathe life into them and make them real inside of you. Did you hear what I said this morning? God has the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to take words on a page and breathe life into them and make them real inside of you. Jovan, I'm going to tell a story on Gerard. I'm, I don't know if you were on that session in Nashville that day. You, might, you may have. You probably were. 
And uh, I had done, we'd done a group thing, so there was probably 12 or so singers, and we'd sung a song. <clears throat> I will never forget this. And uh, Gerard was on the tenor mic or whatever mic I put him on. He could sing on any of them on that mic that day. And, and so, you know, the way it works is they sing it through, and they actually, usually it's about three times you actually record it. It's called stacking it. And, and so it's a process. And so you've been singing that song for maybe an hour. And so we got done, and, and I said, okay, singers, you can take a break. And, but, Gerard, if you'd stay, just go to that mic right there, and I want you to put some ad libs and, and, you know, with all those vocal gymnastic things he does. I always think he's going to hurt himself, but all those gymnastics he, he's capable of doing. I said, I need you to put some ad libs on it. And he looked at me and, ser- and was very serious, and he says, what's the song about? <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? I said, what's the song about? You have just sung it for an hour with everybody else. And without batting eye, he said, it was words on a page. <laughs> Meaning, and I understand that, and that's what happens in session work with singers quite often. They are mechanically, can mechanically produce the sound. Sometimes we call it just being a tone generator on a, on a certain syllable. They can do that, and they can, but they're reading that to mechanically give you what you need to have done. So he had done that. He had worked from here, but for whatever reason, not that I expected him to, not that I was paying him to at that moment, but he hadn't gone from here to here. So he said, if you want me to ad-lib, then I have to know the heart of this song. I need to know what's being really being communicated, and, and so tell me that, and then I can do the ad-libs for you. And I thought there's not a better example of words on a page. How often, church, are we guilty of reading words on a page? It happens to all of us. You may be, and I hope all, every one of us here are disciplined with our devotional life. In whatever form that takes for you. But even in a disciplined devotion life, it's very easy just to look at it and it's words. Have you ever read something and read through a few verses and then think, what did I just read? Does that happen to anybody else besides me? What did I just read? Your mind wandered, the phone rang, something beeped on your device, whatever. And that's why I am so thankful that the Lord is able to take words on a page, breathe life into them, and make them real inside of us. Can you say amen to that? It took a resurrection for the disciples to say, hey, that statement Jesus made that day, he was, the day he was talking to the Jews about destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Now we get it. Now we understand what he meant. I have a strange feeling that when Joseph was standing in his, in his robe and being crowned uh, second in charge of the planet and his dream coming true and seeing his brothers bow before him. There had to be a moment when he said, this is it. This is it. This is what I dreamed about many years ago. In fact, for him, it was 13 years ago. The day of doubt dissipation was 13 years in the making for Joseph. For the disciples, it was a three-year process. Let me just give you a couple of examples of of, uh, of men, and then we'll close in just a little bit. Antony Flew was an English philosopher. Some of you may know that name. He taught at Oxford, Aberdeen, Keele and Reading, and York University in Toronto. For much of his career, Flew was known, Mr. Flew was known as a strong advocate of atheism. 
arguing that one should presuppose atheism until empirical evidence of a God would actually surface. He also criticized the idea of life after death. He criticized the free will defense to the problem of evil. He criticized the meaningfulness of the concept of God. But Antony Flew reached a moment where he was looking at creation. His moment happened. Something happened where he started to realize, you know what? This all just didn't come about. He called it intelligent design. Someone had to design this thing. This didn't just explode from some amoeba. There has to be a God who did this. And his day of doubt dissipation happened after five decades of doubting the very existence of God. And at 84, that man said, I want Jesus. I'm glad God can save you at any age, aren't you? Many of you know the story of the conversion of C.S. Lewis, who was also was an atheist. His conversion started on a motorcycle ride to the zoo with his brother. In his book, Surprised by Joy, that many of you have read, he says he left on the motorcycle ride for the zoo, but he came back a completely different man. And the journey for C.S. Lewis was not simply from being an atheist to being a Christian. For C.S. Lewis, he went from an atheist who doesn't believe in God to a theist, at least believing that a God exists. And then years later, many years later, on a nightly walk through the city of Oxford, he began to realize that God was specifically calling him. And the day of doubt dissipation began to take place for him. Though he will tell you, it's freely, he freely admits this, I came into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming, I was the most reluctant convert in the world, but he came. And here's what I know is possible in this room today. You may be coming kicking and, becoming kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. You may have lived your life so full of doubt that you can never even imagine yourself accepting Christ. But I want you to know that today... This very hour could be the day of doubt dissipation. Every doubt you've had about God, about His Son Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, that can literally evaporate literally today. Because the truth is, everyone who comes to Jesus comes from a position of doubt to a place of belief. I have yet to meet the man or woman who did not start this whole process by having to deal with their doubts. Your doubts maybe about Jesus may be centered in, in thoughts like this. Why was I born to the parents to whom I was born? Why was I raised the way I was? Why did I have to endure abuse in the way, ways that I did? Why has life been so cruel to me? That's caused doubts to arise in your heart and mind about God. If God is a God of love, why has everything been difficult for me? Why am I married to the person that I'm married to? Why am I in Texas? Why am I at Bethesda this morning? But just like the examples of the men I've just given you, your wall of doubt can dissipate, evaporate, and vanish by a simple surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. And when you come to that moment, you will go from doubt to delight. It's the moment when you grab the lightning bug and you put it in your hand and you realize it's not going to bite you and it's certainly not going to hurt you, but it's going to be so cool when it lights up that whole jar. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And disciples, 
Your road is going to take three years for you to come to the day of doubt dissipation. And then it will come alive in you. And there are some of you in this place. And everyone will remain seated for the remainder of this service just to show respect for this, these final few moments. Thank you. There are some of you in this house today who've had a journey like that. And I want you to know I have been praying for you. I want you to know I've been praying that today would be the day that some would start their journey to Jesus and that today is resurrection morning for you. And maybe your biggest doubt is this. Can God really change me? And the answer to that is yes, he can. Yes, he can, but you'll never know until you say yes to him and give him a try. He can change you. He can change me because that's exactly what God does. And you happen to be sitting in a room this morning with hundreds of people who've come to that moment in their life where they recognize he is real. He is there. He is alive. And their day of doubt dissipation came because this is not a religion. This is a living Savior that we're talking about this morning. Bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer.